this is Kara Foster, Senior Minister of First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in Madisonville, Kentucky. You're listening to our sermon podcast. You can connect with us at firstchristianmadisonville.org or join us in person at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at 1030 College Drive in beautiful Madisonville, Kentucky. I hope you'll subscribe. Thanks. Good morning. My last story of courage and faith from the Old Testament. It's a good one. It's Daniel chapter 3. I invite you to follow along with me in your Bibles or your pew Bibles. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's fun to say their names. In fact, when I read this passage, you will notice how many times Daniel says their names over and over. These three men that God saved from a fiery furnace. The story comes to us during the Babylonian exile. Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, maybe if you think of Persia, of that area, if it helps you on your geography maps, they had conquered the land of Judah. They had proceeded to begin a deportation of the Israelite people, scattering them everywhere. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego were part of the best and brightest of Jerusalem's noble court, and King Neb, as I like to call him, chose to groom them for his own Babylonian court. They would learn the Persian language, culture, they would be a part of the royal palace. They even got new names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their Hebrew names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now at one point, things do get a little tricky for them because they turned down the king's fancy royal food because it wasn't kosher. They simply asked for vegetables and water to eat. And the king obliges them and thinks, well, sort of, isn't this amusing? They're sticking to their old ways and customs. And everything's fine for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego until the king builds a huge golden nine foot by 90 feet statue. He invites all the leaders of the kingdom to come. He has a whole big musical ceremony prepared and everyone is to bow down to the statue. Just to be clear how important it was for the king that everyone bow down to this statue, he's got a roaring fire going and it wasn't for s'mores if you know what I mean. So I invite you to read along with me in Daniel chapter 3. It's a a little bit long, but I wanted you to hear the whole story. Accordingly, at this time, certain Chaldeans came forward and announced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn and the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the drum, and the entire musical ensemble shall fall down and worship the golden statue. Whoever does not fall down in worship shall be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. These pay no heed to you, O king. They do not serve your gods. They do not worship the golden statue that you have set up. And then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought in. So they brought those men before the king. 
Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and the entire musical ensemble to fall down and worship the statue that I have made, well and good. But if you do not, you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, king, that we will not serve your gods, and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that his face was distorted. He ordered the furnace heated up seven times more than was custom, and ordered some of the strongest guards in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to throw them into the furnace of the blazing fire. So the men were bound, still wearing their tunics, their trousers, their hats, their other garments, and they were thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was so overheated, the raging flames killed the men who lifted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the furnace of blazing fire, and the king, Nebuchadnezzar, was astonished rose up quickly. He said to his counselors, was it not three men that were th that threw were bound into the fire? They answered the king, true, king. He replied, but I see four men unbound walking in the middle of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the fourth has the appearance of a god. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of the blazing fire and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of the men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their tunics were not harmed, not even the smell of fire came from them. Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel, delivered his servants who trusted in him. They disobeyed the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Whew, that was a mouthful. Okay, so a seasoned minister once gave me this piece of preaching advice. He said every time he comes to a passage, he asks himself after he reads it, what's the good news? What's the good news of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? In other words, what's the lesson for you and I from this story? What's the lesson here that we're supposed to take away? At some point in my life, I'm quite confident that I would have said, well, this one's easy to know. The good news of this story is that if you stay true to your faith, God will protect you. Follow God, God will save you. If you do the right thing, 
If you keep standing up when the world around you tells you to bow down, if you just stay true to your faith in God, will protect you from anything awful. Is that the lesson of this story? It's not a bad one, but is that the good news of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I asked myself that question this week. Is that what we're supposed to learn? Stay true to your faith and God will save you. And as I was thinking about their story, I started thinking about a story I learned about from Dr. King's life. It's actually about his very last speech that he gave the night before he was murdered in Memphis. Have you ever seen the footage of that speech? If you haven't, I really just invite you to pull it up and watch the last three or five minutes of his speech. It's called the Mountaintop Speech. It's famous speech. And the thing about that particular speech is that King was not feeling well that day. He was getting sick with a cold and a sore throat. And that very morning, they had flown from Atlanta to Memphis, but their flight was terribly delayed because after they had boarded, they got word that there was a bomb threat on the plane. And so everybody had to get off while the plane was searched, and they were hours delayed by this. Um, there were more and more threats happening on King's life at this time, all the time. And so they were late getting into Memphis. King was not feeling well. And to add to it, there was a huge thunderstorm that night in the city of Memphis. Power going out, everything, a terrible storm. And so it was decided King was going to skip this church gathering that night and to stay back at the hotel and rest up so he could be ready for a full day the next day. But one of his friends, when they get to the church in Memphis in the middle of this storm, uh, realizes the church is incredibly packed. And so Ralph Abernathy, he calls Dr. King and says, they're all here. You got to get down. You got to come, got to come speak and say something. They're here to see you. And so King gives this famous mountaintop speech unprepared without any notes. And during the speech, he talks about uh, the threats on his life. And I'm going to read the little last bit he says. He says, it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. And I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And if you watch him say those words, you'll notice he's blinking a lot. Like he's trying to hold back his own tears. And he's struggling to say the words. He's getting emotional as he says it. And by the time he says that very last line and he steps out of this one-step pulpit, he almost collapses. He's so overcome with emotion. Somebody, one of his friends, a local Memphis pastor, grabs him and steadies him on his feet to help him find his chair. I'm not fearing any man, he said. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Where... 
Did Dr. Martin Luther King find such courage? Where did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find such courage? So back to my question. Where's the good news? Where's the good news in this story? What's the lesson for all of us? What if the lesson of the story isn't stay true to your faith and God will protect you? What if the lesson is stay true to your faith, period? Follow God no matter what. Follow God no matter what comes next, no matter the bomb threats on your life, no matter the fiery furnace waiting for you. These three men, formerly known as Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, managed to choose to stand tall when the world said, you better bow down. How on earth did they find the courage to do that? They are in a foreign land, speaking a different language. Their language culture scattered, their faith community scattered to the wind. They'd been there a long time. They were living in the palace. Life was comfortable. They're not in prison. They're in the palace. They work for the king and the royal court. And all they had to do was this little thing called bow down. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Just one of those ten commandments. What's the big deal? That's what they could have told themselves. Everyone's doing it. How many times did you try that excuse with your parents? Everyone's going. Everyone's doing it, Mom and Dad. Stay true to their faith. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Or death. They didn't know God would save them or protect them. In fact, when you hear the story, they make no such promises. They don't say, hey, King, you can throw us in the fire, but God will save our lives. They don't know that. They don't claim that. They just truly believe there are worse things than death. They remembered who they are. They remembered who they follow. Follow God, period. Let your faith lead the way no matter what. You know, one of my favorite books is Brother to a Dragonfly by a Baptist preacher named Will Campbell. It's quite dated now, but he really, Pastor Will wrote this book as many ways. It's a love letter to his troubled brother. And in it, there's a story where Will recounts a conversation he had with a friend. And this friend of his didn't go to church and had nothing to do with church and liked to really push his pastor friend's buttons all the time with church and faith. And in this conversation, this friend of his said, you know, Pastor Will, I think the church reminds me of this Easter chicken my daughter got one year. It was dyed totally purple, a beautiful purple little baby chick, a special chicken. My daughter adored that purple chicken. He said, but pretty soon, it didn't take long that it wasn't just purple, it was Rhode Island red too, and it was sprouting different colored feathers, and suddenly it wasn't a beautiful purple, it was quite a funny looking chicken. And he said, and so we threw that funny looking Easter chicken into the coop with all the other chickens. And he said, but chicken world can be cruel. 
I don't know if you know this, I have learned the hard ways on the mean streets of Hanson. Chicken world can be cruel. And he says that uh, the chickens stayed away from her because she was funny looking and they wouldn't let her get her food and she stayed to herself. But day by day, that Easter chicken started behaving like all the other chickens, pecking, scratching, until one day you went out there to the coop and you couldn't tell which one of those chickens was the Easter chicken. They were all alike. The purple feathers were all gone. And this friend says, yes, sir, Bob, that chicken world turned the Easter chicken round. Now you can't tell one chicken from another. They're all alike. The Easter chicken is just one more chicken. And Will writes, I knew he wanted to argue and I didn't want to disappoint him. So I said, well, the Easter chicken is still useful. It lays eggs, doesn't it? And his friend said, yeah, preacher Will, it lays eggs, but they all lay eggs. Who needs an Easter chicken for that? The Rotary Club serves coffee. The 4-H Club says prayers. Red Cross takes an offering for hurricane victims and does mental health counseling. And the Boy Scouts have youth programs. Who needs an Easter chicken? Who needs an Easter chicken? Now I hope that you will never have to make a choice between bowing down to a golden statue or a fiery furnace. In fact, I think most of our decisions will look differently. But we all, all of us, have to make choices about our lives. Choices that decide in big ways and small ways who we are and who our God is. Choices that we make that, in the words we use, in the jokes we tell, and how we spend our dollars, of how we choose to spend our days, our time, our talents, the things we do and the things we let leave undone. Moments, big and small, we choose. We choose to tell the world who we are and the God we follow. Do we choose to follow a God who's with us in the fire? Do we choose to follow a Savior who loved the least and the lost and the broken and the outcast? You know, I think another way to say it is can anybody see any purple feathers on us? Can they? Amen. Amen.